What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and today I'm going to be interviewing Tyler Cook. Now, Tyler is the editor of GLOW, or one of the editors of GLOW, and he and I sit down to discuss his work on the last two seasons. Now, GLOW is going into its third season, and the trailer's just dropped, so you can definitely check that out, but we're going to focus more on his work in episodes such as the one where they recreated an actual episode of GLOW. Now, Naraj Patel is cutting this episode, so thank you to him for doing that, and with all that said, Here's my interview with Tyler Cook. Looking at the show, one of the things that's always interested me is in fight sequences or battle sequences. You really have to think about geography. So I'm wondering how you tackled the fight sequences or the wrestling sequences in Glow. And how did geography play a, a part in that? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I definitely think when I approach a wrestling scene, I think about it like the dance number or, you know, anything that sort of where geography and also just seeing the action is important. And so I think for me, it's about finding the, the right pieces of film that kind of properly orient yourself to the world and also show off the mood the best way. You know, I'm a huge wrestling fan, so I think I was also maybe consciously or subconsciously taking cues from the way that they cut their shows, which is sort of like, you know, when it needs to be an interpersonal character moment, we're kind of, you know, in close up in the faces inside the ring. And then when it's a big move, we kind of use that as a way to jump out into the audience to get their perspective of what they're seeing and kind of show off the move in kind of its full glory. So it's, it's definitely kind of, about picking and choosing what point of view you're in and making sure that when you're doing that, you're not losing the kind of geography that you've established. Now, as a wrestling fan, how much did you know about GLOW? You know, it's interesting. I had heard about it, but I never watched it growing up. And I was more classic WWF guy. And so it was fun to watch the documentary uh, that came out a few years ago. And then also to go back and find on YouTube, like, clips of the old show and kind of see how kind of different it was from everything else that was being put out. I mean, the fact that it was so skit based and it was kind of like a comedy variety show with wrestling as opposed to a wrestling show <laughs> um, was very interesting and very fun. <laughs> it was it was kind of zany to watch. One of the episodes, The Good Twin, I think it's called, where the whole episode is basically an episode of Glow. So how did you tackle that episode? Because I feel like it would be a weird sort of almost surreal process. It was. It felt like I was cutting a different episode of a different television show as opposed to cutting an episode of Glow because it was its own thing. And we really spent a lot of time talking about it, going into it, making sure that we were approaching it with the right sort of care and attention. Because I think the question we kept asking ourselves was, we don't want this to be bad. We want this to be bad, but good, you know? And how do you draw that line? Because obviously it's a very subjective question because you could make a show like that and it could just be miserable to watch for 30, 40 minutes, people making something that's very like low budget and lo-fi. But how do you still make it fun and enjoyable? And I think that was the big challenge that we kind of embarked upon. And I think the other question was, 
you know, from a more technical standpoint, like what limitations did they have or would they have had making the show that we don't have because we have giant production arm and the money behind it. So a lot of it was kind of coming up with certain rules for ourselves that like, you know, we shoot from like in the wrestling scenes, we could only shoot from certain vantage points because they only had two cameras. So it's like, okay, so we got to make sure that this actually tracks that when we are shooting these wrestling scenes that we are shooting from that point of view of the cameraman that we are seeing in the frame, which was a very interesting challenge because thinking of geography, it's like not only are you having to keep the two uh, wrestlers in the ring kind of in the right geography, but you may see the other cameraman in the first cameraman shot. So it's like getting around to that other point of view. It has to be true to where that cameraman was. So it's just another level of tracking the geography and the continuity that you don't really have to think about in a traditional sort of you know narrative. When you saw the, the um the mother of all matches, you know, you really you gave it your all and you paid attention to like the emotional nuances and the little details but in this it's sort of like the acting's over the top the cameras are over the top so how do you judge if you're going in the right direction or if if it's going to be too cheesy or too rough for the audience or if it's going to be too clean the reverse or you've put too much thought into making it very nice and clean yeah it was a really hard (laughs) it was a really hard question but you know at the end of the day i feel like it was just a lot of a lot of trial and error and a lot of conversation in the room with the producers and the director to kind of find that line because it is over the top and i think for me personally as i was editing it i kind of asked myself the questions of like is this something we're doing for the joke or is this something that is natural and organic to what the case of the girls making the show and like I said the, the technology and the equipment of the time and so in a lot of ways it was sort of like harkening back to those days when you were like young and just could pick up a camera and you just started shooting something it's like you don't have all the bells and whistles and tools at your disposal so you're like well we want to do this thing how could we do it and so I kind of just started from that place which kind of answered a lot of those questions because you were you know, it made you think of like other ways of solving problems as opposed to just using the right piece of footage or working out all of the issues. So you kind of left things a little shaggy on purpose, but not so much that it felt obvious. That was the big challenge. It's like this may, you know, it wasn't just like booms dropping into the frame or something. So it was like they were competent. They just didn't necessarily have the money. <laughs> and I think those were the kind of questions we kept talk- coming back to and, and answering for ourselves. So we used less lights on the set. Personally, around doors, we just let things be a little bit harsher and more natural, and we use all of our standing sets and we repurpose them. So it was a lot of like kind of guerrilla style in that way. Now, I mentioned earlier the mother of all matches, and it was one of my favorite episodes of the season because it has such an interesting arc for Tamay Dawson. She's sort of been this one character who's sort of excited about playing the, I guess, the heel in a lot of the cases and the welfare jokes and what have you, but then it sort of comes home to roost with her son coming to see the match. It really comes together and you can see her emotional struggle in that moment where she's trying to make that decision. And I'm wondering, you know, what was the rushes like and how did that scene sort of come together at the wrestling match with her son? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it's something that we really focused on. I mean, I think that's the great thing about the show, though, overall, is that, you know, Tim A is a character that we didn't really explore very much in the first season. And so to then drop in and have a whole episode that was kind of from her point of view was really interesting and, and really satisfying to kind of dig into who ostensibly was a side character for us in season one and to kind of get her point of view. And also, I feel like in the show up to that point, we've been so insular inside the world of glow. And, you know, it was a really a good chance to kind of with Ernest, her son, to step outside of that and really kind of see how the show was affecting a larger audience or not. And and specifically in that match, I mean, that's a great thing about the way Liz and Carly write these wrestling matches. There's the story that's being told inside the ring, and then there's also the story that's being told with the characters that's outside of the world of the show, that's the interpersonal stuff. And to kind of see those two things kind of come into conflict, I think is the big sort of challenge, is how to work those looks and reactions in without it feeling like we were betraying one or the other. And so the great thing about the way that was shot with the rushes and everything else was Mark Burley, who shot most of the wrestling in that episode, he really gave us a lot of different opportunities and choices in terms of when those could happen inside the ring. So it gave us a lot of room to play with. Like, okay, is it after this move that she looks to the audience? Is it after this? When does she break? And there were a few moments that we, we trimmed out because it felt like we were checking too much in with Ernest and, and Tempe's point of view. And we wanted it to feel like that she was still, especially initially, was still kind of playing along. And it wasn't really until the end after the match was over that she just couldn't keep it up anymore. Specifically that moment when Debbie starts chanting, get a job, get a job, get a job. And conversely, the opposite of that is like making sure that Debbie felt like she wasn't just completely betraying Tame, you know, that she was still kind of clocking into what Tame was doing, that she wasn't just being completely oblivious to what was happening. And we wanted to portray all three sides of that kind of match on the same footing. So we kind of understood going into the, the end that where all of the characters were and kind of what they were feeling and experiencing. Yeah, it's a great episode. Like you said, this is one of these characters who in the first season we don't get a lot out of in the sense of like there's not many story arcs for her or stories in the season. Is there another character in the show that you're hoping will have their own episode or have their own uh, story arc? Yeah, I mean, I honestly, all of them. I think that's the great thing about the show is like, even though not all of them get screen time in the way that Tamay did in that episode or Ruth and Debbie, obviously, they all feel like fully formed and three-dimensional people. So I think there's an opportunity to do that with all of them, you know, especially with the way season two kind of ends with Yolanda and Arthi. I, I definitely am interested to see more of that down the road. And, you know, I think Melrose could have a really interesting story outside of the ring, too. I feel like there's some things that have been hinted on in her past. In Bash and Rhonda, I feel like that, the way that season two ends for them, I think is such an interesting kind of dynamic to kind of explore and dive deeper in, into. Now, one of the characters that sort of sticks out is obviously Mark Maron's character, who's sort of this jaded, grumpy guy, but still lovable. So I'm wondering, in the cutting room, was there ebb and flow with trying to figure out how far to push his grumpiness? Like, did you have to pull it back sometimes? Did you have to push it further to make him grumpy? Because there's some scenes that are just marvelous, like the way he sort of gets quippy, but we still care about him. So I'm wondering how you, you worked with his footage. It's funny because I feel like 
the great thing about Mark is he does the grumpy so well. <laughs> like, there's not a lot of inventing that you have to do. So it's generally a question of like, do we need to pull it back here or not? It's less of like having to manufacture it because it's always there. I think it is about sort of finding um, those moments when he's not being watched. I think with Sam's character, it's like the grumpy exterior is what the girls always see. And it's like, I think I'm thinking back in that moment at the end of episode two of season two where he's watching Ruth on the monitor and you see that kind of inner life click in of how he really feels about Ruth. And I think that's such a brilliant kind of moment and it really softens him up in a way that we hadn't really seen up until that point because he is just always around the women. He's always trying to be in charge and, and kind of stake his claim. But even even so, like in episode one, when he kind of fires Reggie and blows up at Ruth because of, you know, shooting the title sequence at the mall, you can kind of understand that it's coming from a place of insecurity. And I think we all know people like that. We've all been through experiences like that. So it's not just like grumpy for grumpy's sake. It's like he's working something out. And I think that kind of nuance is really important to his character. So we as an audience don't feel like alienated by him. Now, one of the things that I've always wondered with these characters is they all have really sort of unique idiosyncrasies. And I'm wondering, similar to the Marin question, is like, how do you work with those to reveal them or show them to the audience? You know, like I think about the the wolf girl, I can't remember her name at the moment, but you know, it could come as way over the top and yet it works in the series and it's a character that we care about. So I'm wondering, how do you work with a lot of these women's idiosyncrasies in the show, but still keep them realistic and someone we can care about. Yeah, I think Sheila, who plays the wolf, is a great uh, Sheila the She-Wolf. It's a great example because, yeah, that could be so left field and not organic to the story, but to answer your question, I think the way we sort of approach it is that it's just the way it is. Like we don't really make a meal out of it. We don't make a big deal out of it. It's just how she is. It's how she operates. And characters may make mention to it, but she just is like, nope, you know, it's my identity. And I think that kind of, in a way, solves the problem for us in that instance, because it really allows it just to feel like it's a normal part of who she is in the world. And I think it's also interesting because in the first season, especially we see it that way that as the show got more popular and she started developing fans that dressed like her she was very weirded out by it she's like i don't understand why they're dressing like me it's insulting it's awful and she didn't understand that it was a term of you know an endearing thing that she just had fans and people cared about her and she felt very weird to be put in the spotlight like that but that's kind of how we approach the show in general it's just like let's just treat this all like real life so all of the character things we just try to approach from a point of not playing it up for a joke you know we let the humor kind of originate from the characters as opposed to trying to manufacture anything or force something to work now i have one last question that i like to ask everyone i interview and usually that's what's your favorite guilty pleasure film but you were as you mentioned a wrestling fan so i was going to ask what your favorite wrestler was when you were a kid oh man that's a great question i love the ultimate warrior because he just like he always came in with so much energy and especially had this thing where he was just like middle of the match like freak out and shake the ropes and like get really pumped up and that's when you knew that he was going to win because he was going to like summoning all the extra energy in the world which I don't know which is always always like got me excited as a, as a young kid and it's it's interesting because we kind of play that moment specifically in The Good Twin when Debbie finds out that her daughter was kidnapped and she just like gets this moment of rage and just like 
takes out everybody in the ring and runs out. So I, I love the way that Liz and Carly have sort of worked in these wrestling tropes and kind of paid honor to the kind of things that, that were happening in the 80s. Yeah, I love in The Good Twin when they have the music video where in the, at the end it says, don't kid now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, such a, and then the other one was, there's a point which, I can't remember the character's name, but the guy who does the announcing oh, show. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, what is a mother without a child? Just a person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great thing about, you know, I feel like Liz and Carly like, really do a great job writing most of, all of the moments in and being very specific and careful about what they're scripting. But with Bash and as an Seen that is one area where they're just like Chris Wall, who plays them. He's like they just like please just go and and have carte blanche to kind of avoid and and go off on these moments, and and he just comes up with some ingenious ingenious things. So yeah, so that's one area that's always a lot of fun to like kind of see what he's kind of bring to the table. Oh wow. Well, thank you so much for letting me interview you. Of course, thanks. I'm really really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no problem. Have a good one. Thank you. So that was my interview with Tyler. I want to thank Tyler for allowing me to interview him. I'd also like to thank Naraj Patel for cutting this episode. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.